Well, it happened to me again. I fell for it. it. Happens every time. I was doing a motorbike test the other week. I was going for my L's. I'm getting my motorbike, which is kind of exciting. Uh, and to get your motorbike L's, you have to do a multiple, cho- multiple choice quiz. And I fell for those questions that are only kind of half true. You know those ones? They're true, but they're not the most true questions. I hate them. No, I'll give you the example. This is I got three wrong. I'll be honest, I got three wrong. You're allowed to get seven wrong, but uh, so I passed. So that was good. But here's one of the ones that I got wrong. See if you can work it out. On a hot day, what is the best protective clothing to wear when riding a motorbike? Is it A, a thick leather jacket? B, a thin leather jacket? Or C, a short sleeve T-shirt? What do you reckon? What's the, what's the best protective clothing to wear on a hot day? You guys going A? Anyone going B? A few Bs out there. Anyone going C? T-shirt. Thanks. Thanks. I can tell you guys, the motorbike riders. The answer's A. It's a thick leather jacket. I went with B. I, th- I thought that maybe if it was hot, you know, I thought leather's leather's still pretty good, but it's not. You know, the best protective clothing was the question. Doesn't matter if it's hot. Doesn't matter if it's cold. You gotta go for the best. You gotta get the most true. I fell for it. Fell for a half truth. As I've been talking to people over the past few weeks, talking to some random strangers, people I don't know, just because I do that sometimes, uh, around uni, ask them about what they think about God, who God is. Uh, I've seen some people who have been believing some half-truths about God. They fell for it. The first half-truth that I've noticed around Bendigo Uni, here at La Trobe, is that people think that God just gives them stuff. They say, the God that I'd like to have, I'd like to have a God who would give me things. It's kind of half true, isn't it? Because we pray to God, he, God actually tells us to pray, to ask for him, ask for things. And he gives us what we need. It's kind of half true, isn't it? Um, the part that's, that's true is that God does tell us to ask him for things. God is a God who gives us things. The part that's wrong is that he'll just give us whatever we want. See, it's not like God's a vending machine. Uh, you know, vending machines, you pop in a coin and you get the thing out that you want. God's not a vending machine. Um, but I wonder if sometimes we treat him a little bit like that. Uh, we, we treat him like maybe we'll just pop up a few prayers, put a few prayers in, and we'll get something back. Having trouble in a test? Pop a few prayers up. Uh, having trouble in a relationship, pop up a few prayers. Whatever it is, whatever you're struggling with, just pop up a few prayers and God will give us what we want. In today's passage, we see a man who has a really serious want. His legs don't work. But Jesus doesn't seem to give him what he wants straight away. Jesus holds back on that a little bit. He doesn't give him what he wants. What we'll see tonight is that God gives us what we need. There's another half-truth floating around uh, that I've noticed. And that is that God's kind of just really strict. It kind of, it kind of falls out of this, uh, out of the previous one. It's that God 
Because he doesn't give us what we want, then he must be really strict. He only gives us what we need. He's kind of this authoritarian guy. He's, he's got rules. I was at Coles just earlier in the week uh, doing a bit of shopping and I was lining up behind a, a mum with a little kid. I imagine this will happen with my little daughter later on when she starts coming to Coles with us and doing the shopping. But this little guy, he was going for a Mars bar. I don't know if you've seen this. He, he was at the checkout. They were doing the thing. And this little kid, he's going for a Mars bar. And the mum was just going, don't, no, stop, don't do that. I wonder if that's how some people think about God. God just says, don't do that. Or don't do that. Or definitely, don't do that. Is God kind of like that? Just stopping you from doing what you really want to do. If that's the way you think about God, then I think that's going to have a serious effect on the way you relate to him. If God's just there to kill your fun in life, to stop you really enjoying what's going on, then you're not actually going to want to listen to him, are you? You're going to want to kind of try maybe just to push him away and then you're going to try and want to get away with stuff, kind of push the boundaries, you know, see how far you can get. You'll get frustrated when his word conflicts with what you want to do. And you'll rebel against him, you'll sin. You'll question his authority. That's what the Pharisees do in the story. They resist Jesus' words. They question his authority. They say, you can't do that. You can't say that. There's two groups of people in today's story. There's the people who just come to Jesus with their wants, trying to get stuff out of him. And there's the Pharisees, there's the other group, who resist him, who don't want to listen to him. I wonder which group you kind of fell into this week. Were you like the person who just kind of came to God with a, like a vending machine, give me what I want, that's the only time you gave him any attention when you wanted something out of him? Or were you the person who just resisted his authority? You didn't read his word, you didn't pray to him much because you knew that if you did, then your true heart might be exposed. I'm hoping, I've been praying this week, that tonight as we look at this passage in Luke 5, I'm hoping that we'll see that how God relates to us is by giving us what we really need. And as we see that, as we see that he gives us what we need, that we'll actually see that he's good and we'll want to listen to him. So let's have a look at the story. Open up at Luke chapter 5. Let's try and set the scene. This man is paralysed. In the first century context, that means that life was pretty tough. There was no social welfare, no Centrelink. This guy, the way he would have just got by in life, would have been someone would have carried him out to the city gate where he would have begged for money so he could buy some food. Pretty rough way to go through life. Living off people's sympathy, spare change. Terrible way to go through life. He'd see people walking past him and he'd think, I wish I had legs that worked like that. But we come to a scene in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 5. And today's a little bit different. The man, it's the same thing. The man's sitting at the gate. He's begging. 
most likely. But there's just something going on in the air. People are kind of excited about something. People are talking about this guy called Jesus. The man sitting on the mat, he can, he can hear people. They're, they're excited that this guy Jesus has come to their town. Have a look at verse 15. It says, the report about Jesus went abroad. People were telling each other stories about this guy Jesus who's just come to their town because everywhere else he's been, he's been healing people. He's been fixing their sicknesses. And so this great crowd has come to see this guy Jesus. And you can imagine what the paralysed guy would have been thinking, can't you? Maybe he could heal my legs too. If Jesus could fix my legs, I would be so happy. How good would that be? He would be thinking. There's another group. There's that group. There's the crowd that's flocked to see Jesus, the crowd that's come to be healed of their sicknesses. But there's this other group. There's the religious guys, the Pharisees, the scribes. Verse 17, they've come from everywhere as well. Have a look at verse 17. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law have come from every village of Galilee, of Judea, and Jerusalem. They've come from everywhere to see this guy Jesus. People have flocked to see him because he's got a name for himself. He's been doing these amazing things. And they've all gathered in this house. And the paralytic seems like he's missed out. Thankfully, there's some men, Mark's gospel, Mark's account of this, there's some men who, four of them go back, they pick up this paralytic man and they take him towards where Jesus is. And the story couldn't be more dramatic, really, could it? The crowd has gathered so much that they can't get him to Jesus. So they get a bit creative. They can't push through the crowd. It's like one of those big concerts or when you're at the sport, you know, you just can't get through people. So they go, we've got an idea. Let's go around the back, climb up on the roof and stick him down there. That's what they do. They want to get this guy to see Jesus. So they get on the roof and they start digging. Probably would have been a a solid kind of mud roof. But imagine if something like that happened here. Imagine if I'm just talking, you know, then these big tile, that light just goes bang, falls on the ground, hits Terrence, you know, projector comes down, hits Anna. What would we do? We'd stop, wouldn't we? We'd be looking up. Here comes a guy we've just seen back there, you know, at the gate. The paralyzed guy, and he's he's coming through the roof. Bits of dirt would be falling on our heads. He gets lowered in. What does Jesus do? I reckon for for some of us here we've we've heard this story a few times. It's a bit of a popular one in Christian teaching. So we kind of miss out on just what happens. Because we know what happens, we miss the surprise of the story. Paralyzed man comes down through the roof and it's obvious what he wants, isn't it? He wants his legs fixed. But Jesus doesn't go there. Jesus doesn't just go, up, there you go, next. He doesn't do that. 
No, Jesus looks at their faith, the four guys, the man, looks at their faith, and he says, Child, your sins are forgiven. How do you reckon you'd react to that? Imagine you're the paralyzed guy. How'd you react to that? I reckon if it was me, I'd say, You've got to be kidding, Jesus. Can't you see that my legs don't work? You want to talk about my sins? Can't you see my need? My obvious need is my legs? That's why I'm on this mat. Give me that. Give me my legs. We do the same thing sometimes, don't we? Come to Jesus and we just want him to fix our obvious problems, our immediate problems. Give me a better car. My car's broken. I need a better one. I need better housemates. Give me that, Jesus. I need better marks. Give me that, Jesus. Whatever it is. I need a girlfriend. Give me that, Jesus. I don't, because I'm married, but I can see a few people are relating to this. Come to Jesus and you just say, Jesus, make my life better. Give me what I want. Because that's what I need right now. But Jesus says, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't need that. And that's the point. That's why he says your sins are forgiven first. Because Jesus is saying that there is something more important in this man's life than to have his legs healed. There is something more important than what he thinks is his most immediate need. Even though to us, to the man, to all the crowd, they would have gone, it's his legs. Jesus says, no, it's not. You need forgiveness. I mean, surely you would think that if Jesus just fixed this man's legs, he'd be happy, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he be happy if Jesus fixed his legs? He'd be able to run, be able to walk, be able to dance. He'd be full of joy. He wouldn't get sad and bitter anymore. He wouldn't get frustrated with things anymore, would he? So why doesn't Jesus just give him new legs? Why doesn't Jesus just give him what he wants? Well, the reason is because there's actually something deeper that needs to be healed in this man first. When Jesus looks at this man, he doesn't just see a man with broken legs, but he sees a man with a broken heart, with a broken relationship with God. See, Jesus sees what's in his heart. He sees that this paralytic is resting all his hopes on getting his legs fixed. Deep down, this guy would have been thinking, if I can just get my legs fixed, then everything will be okay. If I could just walk again, I'd never complain. If I could just walk, then my life would be good. I do that at times. If I could just get that new pair of jeans, then my life would be all right. Then I'd be happy. If I could just make friends with those guys, then I'd be able to fit in. Then I'd be happy. You fill in the blanks. What is it for you that you think, if I could just get that, then I'd be good. Then I'd be happy. I 
See, Jesus, by not healing this man's legs, he's saying something very important to us. He's saying, don't put your hope in things because they won't satisfy. They won't save you. They won't actually give you what you think you're looking for. See, Jesus knows that this man and probably most of the crowd have come just so he'll fix them, just so he'll solve their problems, cure their sicknesses, make them walk, improve their comfort in life. And Jesus is saying that they're not the deep down issues. See, if Jesus fixes this man's legs, then sure, he'll be happy for a while, happy for a few days, a few weeks, but sooner or later... There'll be other problems in life that'll catch up with him. There'll be another discomfort, another need, another worry. This guy needs something deeper to be healed first. It's a bit like gardening. I've been doing a bit of gardening lately. Quite like gardening. I made a box actually. I made this box. I found some old pallets, made a box and did some gardening. It was good. You know when you go gardening, I Many people go gardening here, not really. Some, it's fun, it's good for you, you should, should have a crack at it. It's no good when you're gardening just to kind of get your sectors off with the weeds and just snip the top off. It's no good just, you might make it look good for a little while. They won't be that obvious. If you want to get rid of those weeds, you have to pull the roots out. You have to go down deep. You have to get it right out. Jesus, he wants to deal with the root of this man's problem. He wants to heal not his legs, but what's actually going on in his heart. See, Jesus knows that if he is really going to bring joy to this man, if he, he needs something that's going to last, something that's going to last more than just his legs, something that's not going to grow weak, Something that's going to produce joy that goes for eternity. Jesus isn't going to shortchange this guy. He's not going to give him a quick fix. He's going to fix his heart. But we'll come to that in a minute. Because there's another group here in the room. There's the Pharisees. There's people who have come to Jesus who will fix their needs. That's the crowd. But there's this other group, the Pharisees, the religious guys. The guys that, well, I kind of go, at least I'm not like them. At least I'm not like them. These guys who seem to have come just so they can weigh up what Jesus is saying. Um, They're not going to listen to him. They don't really like what he's saying. They've just come to test him. And... When they see what Jesus says to the man, they go crazy, don't they? They don't want to listen to it. Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes, these Pharisees, they nearly fall over backwards. He can't say that. They're thinking to themselves. They get angry. He's blaspheming. He can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And you know they're exactly right. Only God can forgive sins because our sins are against God. The Pharisees have got it right. 
When we sin, it's God who we offend. So if only God can forgive sins, we know what Jesus is claiming about himself, don't you? Jesus, by claiming to be able to forgive sins, he's saying that our sins are against him as well, that we've sinned against him. Because when you think about it, you can't forgive sins that aren't against you, can you? Imagine for a minute that um, Brody walks up and punches Joel in the face. <laughs> imagine. Might be hard for some of you to imagine, might not be so hard for others. But imagine Brody comes up and punches Joel in the face. And then I go up to Brody and say, Brody, don't worry, I'll forgive you. It doesn't work like that, does it? Joel has to be the one that forgives him. Because he's the one that's been wronged against. So when Jesus says, I forgive your sins, he's saying, your sins are against me. And the religious guys, they get this. They realise this, their hearts boil and they scream, blasphemy, let's kill him. They question his authority. He can't say that. They get angry at him. So in verse 22, Jesus... Knowing what they're thinking, he asks them a question. He says, why do you question me in your hearts? Which is easier to say? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your mat and walk? They're both pretty hard, aren't they? I mean, they're easy to say, but they're pretty hard to make happen. But so that you may know, verse 24... So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, rise, pick up your mat, and walk home. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying, do you know who I am? I'm the one who can forgive sins. See, any miracle worker can heal someone's legs. But only the Son of God can say, your sins are forgiven. By forgiving this man's sin, Jesus not only restores his life for eternity, he actually does something else. He shows him the love, the acceptance, that actually satisfies the needs of his heart. See, as Jesus forgives this man's sins, Jesus is committing himself to take the pain of forgiveness on himself. By saying that Jesus, by Jesus saying that he'll forgive this guy, he's actually committing himself to die for him. See, forgiveness is hard. I don't know if you're in a space at the moment where you're struggling to forgive someone. Forgiveness is not simply saying, no worries, doesn't matter. That's not forgiveness. Now think about what goes on when you forgive. If I say, I forgive you, I'm actually making a judgment call against you. I'm saying, what you did was wrong. What you did hurt me. Just saying no worries is the opposite of that. No worries just says, doesn't really matter didn't really hurt me. 
But the words, I forgive you, it says, what you did has caused me pain. What you did was wrong. But more than that, I forgive you says, I'm going to bear that hurt. I'm going to take that pain on myself so that we can be reconciled. Jesus is saying, I'm going to bear the cost of this man's actions against me so that he can be reconciled to God. So forgiveness is never a matter of just forgiving. That's why it's hard. If you're, if you're in a space at the moment where you're struggling to forgive someone, it's hard because you've got to take that pain on yourself. And that's what Jesus does for our sins. He takes the pain, the hurt, in order that we can reach reconciliation. So it would have been much easier for Jesus to say, get up and walk, really. Because to affect forgiveness of sins is ridiculously hard. To forgive that man's sins, Jesus knows that he's going to have to die for this guy. Jesus will die on a cross bearing that pain on himself so that we can be reconciled. See, when Jesus dies on the cross at the end of Luke's Gospel, he took that man's sin onto himself. He paid for it, so he didn't have to. To make that man able to truly dance, dance for eternity, Jesus had his own legs fixed to that cross. See, everyone's eyes were on Jesus, weren't they? Everyone was looking at him. What's he going to do? What's he going to do when this guy comes down through the roof? Well, Jesus looked around, looked around the room, and he saw a bunch of people who just wanted to use him, just come to get their needs fixed. Saw another bunch of people who were just questioning him, resisting him, not listening to him. And what did he do? Well, he looked at them and he loved them. He said, I forgive you. Because that's what Jesus does. He loves us at our worst. In the book of Romans, Paul says, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. It was a really odd movie I watched a little while back. It's called The Fisher King. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It's got Robin Williams in it as the main character. And there's a scene in this movie that's really quite remarkable. Robin Williams plays a guy called Parry. It's a bit of a weird name in itself. But Parry's kind of, he likes this girl, and, and this girl's kind of a little bit awkward. She's a bit of a bit of a klutz. She trips over. She kind of eats with a you know talks with a mouthful and yeah, she's just a little bit a little bit odd. And eventually in the movie, as it goes along, as most movies do, the girl and the guy get together. Parry and this girl they go out on a date, and it's a really nice date. They have lots of fun. But at the end of the night, the girl says to Parry, says, "Well, thanks." That's been really nice, but it's over now. She's, see, she's all self-conscious about her faults, about her inadequacies. She knows that if they go out on another date, then Parry will find out what she's really like. And she's worried that when that happens, he won't want to be with her anymore. 
But Parry says, and it's kind of a little bit creepy, but Parry says, no, you don't get it. I've been watching you. <laughs> it is a little bit creepy, isn't it? It's not like creepy in the movie, it's just the way I say. He says, I've been watching you. He actually has kind of been following her around town all this time. That's kind of... <laughs> still sounds a bit weird, but... He says, I, I know that you trip over. He says, I know that you're a bit of a klutz. I know that you're a bit awkward. I know that you, you don't always speak well to people. I know that you talk with your mouth full. He says, I know everything about you. And I still love you. And she can't believe it. Not because he's a creep, but because of what it means to her. <laughs> she can't believe it, that this guy knows everything about her and still loves her. All her inadequacies, all her anxieties, just start to subside because of this person who accepts her for who she truly is. See, to have someone look at you at your worst and still love you is extraordinary. It's empowering. It's what we're actually looking for. But when the Lord of the universe... One with authority to forgive sin. When your creator looks at you and loves you at your worst. When he dies for you, well, that love does something for us. That love it actually starts fixing us. It changes what we really love. Because knowing that you're loved in that way it actually starts solving those longings in our hearts. See, the love that Jesus shows us by forgiving us at our worst, it starts to heal these discontents in our life by filling us with thankfulness. I don't know if you've found yourself in some sort of sin in this past week. I reckon if you have, it's worth actually trying to dissect it a little bit. Think about what's going on when you fall into those traps of sin. If you've been constantly comparing yourself with other people, if you've been kind of flirting or wearing clothes just to get people's attention, chances are that you're actually longing for someone to accept you, longing for someone to show you love, longing someone to look at you as you are and say, I want to be with you. If you've been looking at pornography this week, chances are that deep down you're actually longing for someone to love you, to give themselves to you. You wonder why that sin never seems to satisfy? Because because it's just a shallow fix. It doesn't go down to the deep longings of what we really need. You have to keep going back again and again. You get trapped by it. What you're really looking for is someone to accept you. You might be longing to be in a relationship, thinking that if you just had a girlfriend or if you just had a boyfriend, then your loneliness issues would be fixed. Then you'd be happy. If that's you, can I just say that starting a relationship to meet your needs. It's not the best way to start a relationship. Why not let Jesus meet those needs? He's given us his body, the church, the people here, 
to fix our loneliness issues. He's given us each other. Why not start pouring yourself into this group of people? Make good friendships here. Work hard on developing good, safe friendships here at CU and in your churches. Maybe you've been getting overly anxious about something like your uni marks. Chances are that you're looking for approval, looking for someone to say, good job, well done. Looking for someone to communicate that they love you. Jesus says, you don't have to prove yourself to me. That sense of guilt you've been feeling for that sinful habit, it's washed away when Jesus says, I forgive you. See, Jesus knew that fixing this man's legs wouldn't have been enough. So he didn't do it straight away. He wasn't going to shortchange him. He wasn't going to give him something unless it would last, unless it would truly fix his deepest needs. Unless it would truly satisfy him. So Jesus wants us to see that what we truly need is him. His forgiveness, his acceptance, his love, and the healing that it starts to offer. It's not easy to go through life when you've got problems. Problems that you just really love to have fixed. But what Jesus says to the man in the story and to us is to trust him. Trust me, Jesus says, with your life circumstances. I'm the one with authority. You don't need those things just yet. Trust me first. I'm in control. I will give you what you truly need to have. Because what we need, it's not a girlfriend or a better transcript. It's a saviour. Someone who loves us. Someone who forgives us. Someone who accepts us. This is the message of the gospel. That Jesus looks at you as you are in your sin And he forgives you. It's good news, isn't it? If you let that knowledge, if you let that good news sink into your heart, you let that go deep down, then you will feel loved. You will feel secure. You'll feel filled up with thankfulness. And it will start healing those discontents in your life. You'll see that Jesus is truly good. And you want to start hearing him and living for him. We pray. Heavenly Father, there's so many things that we try to fix our longings with shallow things that don't ultimately fulfill us father i pray that for us this week you'll help us to think hard about the things that we're really longing for and that by your spirit you would fill us up with your love help us to be people who are overflowing with thankfulness for your goodness to us 
Help us to be people who live for you. Amen.